0: Hey, I'm Michael Woodley, pastor at First West. Thank you so much for joining us today. Here in just a second, we're gonna dive into God's word and to see what it says about who he is, about who we are, and about the hope that can be found in the gospel of Jesus Christ. I pray that today God's word will encourage you, it'll challenge you, and it'll allow you to see that no matter where we find ourselves, there's always hope because of Jesus Christ. So let's dig in and see what God has for us today in his word. And today, we jump back into our series. Last day's Q and A: answering common questions about the end times. If you haven't been with us, we have been on this journey of uh, trying to discover, the, to the best of our ability, what God's word says about ho- how all of this is going to wrap up. Uh, two weeks ago, if you were with us, we left with kind of three big rocks that we know at the, at the end of the days. Regardless, we know that God's enemies are going to be routed, that His kingdom is going to be fully realized, and that His creation is going to be fully restored and I told you as we walked through that I know it was a lot we covered a lot that day but I said some of this we're going to dive into more specifically and spend some more time on and we're going to do that today now just to give you a reminder if you've not been a part of us the kind of the guardrails that we're staying in between during this series are some things that we believe to be true uh, number one is that we do believe that Christ is coming again amen Absolutely. Amen. Christ is coming again. We believe that. But we also believe that the Bible doesn't tell us all things about the end times, but it does tell us some things about the end time. And so that can create some challenges, but it also calls for responsibility for us to love God to the best of our ability with our minds to understand what he has for us. And the third is that we said, listen, it is, it is good and right for us to study What's going to happen in the end? We remember from Revelation chapter 1 where it says, Blessed is the one who hears these words and heeds these words. Right? It's good for us. At the same time, we don't need to abuse the study of the end times. The entirety of our faith journey is not wrapped up in the end times. And so with those guardrails in place, we're going to jump in to trying to answer the question today, Who is the Antichrist? Right after Abby and I got married in 2003, We moved to Tulsa. That's where Abby's from. And uh, we lived there for about six months. And while we were there, I took on the job as working at a bank teller, as a bank teller. And I have to tell you, I hated every second of it. God bless you for those that are in the financial industry. Uh, It just wasn't my cup of tea. one of the things that I would do is many of you have had the experience of going to a teller and they take your deposit or handle withdrawal for you. And one day I was working the drive-thru and a guy comes through and knew the guy. He was a familiar customer, through probably once a week, had a lot of rental properties. And he comes through and he makes a deposit and it was a lot of cash. And so I'm sitting there counting out the cash. And as I'm counting out, out these $20 bills, I noticed something about the $20 bills in front of me. They didn't look right. In 2003, if you remember, that's when the $20 bill experienced a change in the way that it appeared. And it had just gone into distribution. It was just now starting to be used. But I had used that $20 bill enough. On the backside, there's all these little yellow 20s all over it. And as I was looking through them, I noticed that those 20s looked really, really bright. And so I went and pulled out of the drawer this little pen. You know the pen I'm talking about, Right. You go to buy some at the grocery store, and that sweet little young lady pulls out that pin, and you think, she's questioning my integrity right now, isn't she, right? But I pulled out that pin, and I marked it, and sure enough, it was a fraud. It was a fake. It was a counterfeit. This guy had given me loads of cash that had absolutely zero value. Now, it was, in many ways, it looked the part. It even smelled the part. But it was an imitation. And in our lives, we experience imitation all the time. We do. If you've been to New York City or any other big city, you might find a great deal on a nice Rolex watch. And You're exactly right. It is too good to be true. Well, I want you to understand that imitation is not just something that's a part of this material world, but imitation is something that is a part of the spiritual world. And we see that firsthand in what we find today in Revelation chapter 13, in the study of this man, the Antichrist. We are going to see that it is Satan's, I believe, his final and greatest deception. And so I want to invite you to stand with me. We're going to read Revelation 13, verse 1 through 8. It says, and I saw a beast coming out of the sea. It had ten horns and seven heads. On its horns were ten crowns, and on its heads were blasphemous names. The beast I saw was like a leopard, and its feet like a bear's, and its mouth was like a lion's mouth. The dragon gave the beast his power, his throne, and great authority. One of its heads appeared to be fatally wounded, but its fatal wound was healed. The whole earth was amazed and followed the beast. They worshiped the dragon because he gave authority to the beast. And they worshiped the beast saying, who is like the beast? Who is able to wage war against it? The beast was given a mouth to utter boast and blasphemies. It was allowed to exercise authority for 42 months. It began to speak blasphemies against God to blaspheme his name and to his dwelling, those who dwell in heaven. And it was permitted to wage war against the saints and to conquer them. It was also given authority over every tribe, people, language, and nation. All those who live on the earth will worship it. Everyone whose name was not written from the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who was slaughtered. Let's pray together. Lord, we understand today that we have our, ta- our task cut out for us. Lord, I'm just asking that by your grace and for our good and ultimately for your glory, that Jesus, you would speak today, that Spirit of God, that you would give us clarity, not to figure out some trivia of who this Antichrist might be, but more than that, to have crystal clarity on what is right and what is true. That just as we have sung all morning. Just as we've heard your scripture read about the reality of your greatness and of your holiness. That, Father, as we look and we see the deception and this imitation of this man today. God, would we be assured that you are reigning and ruling on your throne and you will forevermore. Spirit of God, would you speak? It's your name I pray. Amen. You may be seated. Whoo we got our tasks cut out for us, don't we? There's a lot here. But it's not so much that we can't get, I believe, some clarity. As we work through Revelation chapter 13 today, our main idea is this. Do not be deceived. King Jesus reigns. Can I get an amen to that? Amen. Don't be deceived. Do not be deceived. King Jesus reigns reigns. As I often do, I want to give you some foundation to help us have a better understanding of what's going on here in Revelation chapter 13 to clarify the conversation. This word antichrist, although we don't see it show up here in this passage, we recognize that this is who is being spoken of. The word antichrist, it means one who is against Christ or one who is instead of Christ, one who is in the place of Christ. And while in Revelation 13, we recognize it as the embodiment of a human being of a person, I want you to understand that this idea of Antichrist is not just limited to that. In fact, we see in the scripture over a hundred times this idea of Antichrist being spoken of. Old Testament, New Testament, from the mouth of Jesus. And we see oftentimes that I believe it's in reference to this spirit of the Antichrist. A reminder for us today that there is more to life than what we can see and what we can feel. The reality of the spiritual realm that exists. And the scriptures point to us to this spirit of the Antichrist that is active. It was active then and I believe it is active now. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 3, John writes this, But every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming, even now, is already in the world. So even today, in studying this passage, as we're thinking about future, a future event that will come, John made it clear to his writers, which means it would be clear to us today, that it's not just something that is coming, but that even now, it is already in the world. This is the demonic forces of darkness that are at work. And those that would give in to that spirit, that would deny, that would not confess Jesus and his divinity. We also understand that as this spirit, the spiritual demonic realm, as it is having its effect in our world today, that at times it is embodied by those that are embracing it. And we see it again in 1 John. One of the ways that John sees it is in the false teacher's. Those that have come that it maybe have given appearance of godliness, but their teaching and their preaching doesn't align with the gospel. 1 John chapter 2, verse 18 and 19, he says this, children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come. By this we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they did not belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. So John even recognizing that there are those in the world that embody the spirit of the Antichrist that are part of forwarding the mission of the Antichrist. We see this, one of the most primary ways is in deception, whether that's in the occult whether that is in false religions, whether that is in false teachers. In 2 John 1.7, it says, many deceivers have gone out into the world. They do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. This is the deceiver and the antichrist. So you see here, John is dealing with a specific issue. Those that were in the church that We're not embracing the first guardrail or guideline that we've put in place, that Jesus Christ is coming again in the flesh. He said there are people that are going out and saying that is not going to happen. And he says this is of the Antichrist. This is a part of that demonic force. And so we see that when we talk about Antichrist today, know that we're we're not just talking about this man that is to come. But I want you to understand this today because the man that is to come is the embodiment of all that I've just shared with you. The spirit of the Antichrist, I believe, has worked against God's people in his history throughout history. We see it initially at Satan's fall, we see it in the garden and Adam and Eve's disobedience and sin coming into the world. We see it in Exodus chapter 1 with the killing of the Hebrew children. We see Herod and his attempt to snuff out this new king of the Jews. We see it in the crucifixion of Jesus. So this spirit has been at work, but ultimately it will have its fulfillment. It will have its embodiment in this anti-Messiah figure. In Daniel chapter 7 verse 8, he's referred to as the little horn. In Zechariah chapter 11, he's known as the false shepherd. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, we see Paul refer to him as the man of lawlessness or the man doomed to destruction. And we're going to see that he is going to play a central and crucial role in the last days. So if you are here two weeks ago, you know we talked about what is going to happen in the end times. And one of the things that I shared with you was this season of tribulation. I believe the Bible teaches that it's going to be a seven-year season. Period, And within that seven-year period, there will be this man who will rise up that is known as the Antichrist. We've seen types of this person. We see in the Old Testament people like Pharaoh, Nebuchadnezzar. We can look even to the period between the Old Testament and the New Testament with a man named Antiochus Epiphanes. He was the king of Syria who had a desire, again, to snuff out God's people in the worship of the one true God. He made it a law that if you were to circumcise a child, you would be put to death. He wanted to stop the practice of their faith. He created an altar in the temple of God to Zeus. He even turned the temple itself into a brothel. Some of you may be familiar with the Maccabean Revolt, where the Jews revolted. That's what it was in reference to. They were revolting against the work of this man who had desecrated the temple. But then we go into maybe more modern history, and we see that there have been attempts to point out, to determine who this person was. In the book Antichrist, 2,000 years of human fascination with evil, the author gives us a list. He speaks here of Nero and Napoleon. Mussolini and Stalin and Hitler and Gorbachev and Henry Kissinger and pretty much every president that's ever led our country. Saddam Hussein, Pat Robertson, different popes that have existed throughout the years. Even one Yahoo recommended Elon Musk. Who did put a microchip in someone's brain last week, in case you're wondering. I'm just kidding. But here's what we know. Even in all those names that I just mentioned, even in us understanding for some of those that list, we would say, yes, they were the embodiment of evil, weren't they? But here's what we know, that this side of history, we know they were wrong. They've given all these guesses, all these attempts to try to identify who this person was, and they're batting zero, zero, zero. 0 So you understand how unwise and how foolish it would be for me today to say this person is the Antichrist. Now for some of you, you may be tempted to get up and leave and say, Michael, that's the only reason I came today was for you to name that person. Well, I'm sorry, you're going to be disappointed. You might ask today, well, Michael, do you think that person is alive today? Maybe. I don't know. But just because we can't identify a person doesn't mean we can't turn to God's Word and answer the question, Who is the Antichrist? What is his nature? What is his character? What is his strategy? Because I believe as we get a better understanding again of the imitation, it will help us have confidence in that which is true. So let's dive into chapter 13 and see if we can answer this question, Who is the Antichrist? I'm going to give you four points today about who this man is and what is his strategy. Let's begin with verse 1 and 2. I want you to write down two words here of who is the Antichrist. Write down the words wickedness and authority. Wickedness and authority. Verse 1 and 2, it says, And I saw the beast coming up out of the sea. It had ten horns and seven heads. On its horns were ten crowns, and on its heads were blasphemous names. And the beast I saw was like a leopard, Its feet were like a bear's, and its mouth was like the lion's mouth. The dragon gave the beast his power, his throne, and great authority. Now, one of the challenges, and I've shared this with you guys, that when we're dealing with end times literature, we're dealing with a genre of scripture called apocalyptic. That means it's a genre that often uses symbols and signs to communicate something that is true. And so that can cause it to be difficult. Even as we've just read that, you're thinking, goodness gracious, this is going to be an ugly looking man, right? But understand here that what we read in apocalyptic genre literature isn't always literal. Now, at the same time, you might be tempted to move out of a literal ditch and drive your car into an allegorical ditch. Well, allegory would assume that none of it's true. But I think in the middle we can find a place that's called figurative. There's figurative language. It's signs and symbols that point to something that is true. And what we see here, it tells us that there is this beast who who rises up out of the sea. Now, I don't believe that this is going to be the true coming of Aquaman that is going to walk out of the ocean. But I believe here it is pointing to the sea being the place of chaos is that it will be a man who rises out of a world system that is just that, completely chaotic. A world that is looking for answers, that is looking for peace and for purpose. It is a world that is so broken, they will latch on to anything for a hopeful future. Can you believe that a world would exist like that? I can. And it says, from this place, this beast will come forth and there's this, a description that John gives us here. He says that he will have ten horns and seven heads, and on those horns were ten crown, crowns. Now, uh, some scholars would want to say that this is speaking of a coalition of nations, that there will be ten nations that will, will come together, and from that coalition of ten nations, that, that this is where the Antichrist will come out of, of these ten nations. Others simply say that, that this, will, this is a picture here of Uh, a coalition of power, of all power. And the idea of the seven heads here is a picture of evil, the perfection of evil, the embodiment of all that is evil. The crown speaking to this idea of ruling or authority of a king or an emperor of some sort. And he says here in verse 2 that the beast he saw was like a leopard and its feet were like a bear's and its mouth was like a lion's mouth. Now I know that sounds really random to you, But if we were in the first century, if we were first century believers and we knew our Old Testament really, really well, we would recognize that passage comes from Daniel chapter 7. We see in Daniel chapter 7, 8, and 9 that Daniel there in interpreting visions is giving us a picture for what this beast would look like. And in that place in Daniel 7, Daniel sees a vision of four kingdoms. And he describes them using the same language that John uses here. The leopard, speaking here of Greece, and Alexander the Great, and the swiftness of their military. The feet that were like bears, speaking of the Medo-Persians. You think of Persia that came in and defeated Babylon. Babylon being there, the final one, like the lion's mouth. I think what John is trying to show us here is that this man that will rise out of the chaos of a broken world, That he will rise in the fullness of power, and he will rise in the fullness of evil. That's where we get wickedness. This will be a wicked man. That's why John is using the picture here of a beast. He's a wicked, wicked man. And We see that in that rising up, he comes with authority, but John makes it clear where that authority comes from at the end of verse 2. It says, the dragon. Who's the dragon? Satan. The dragon gave the beast his power, his throne, and great authority. And so we see that that Satan himself has raised this man up as an antichrist, to be against the things of God, to be in place of, an imitation, a knockoff of the true Messiah jesus christ and so he gives him this authority he gives him this power he gives him his throne and you might say how can he do that Uh, what, what authority does satan have to give well remember at the fall when the fall happened when adam and eve disobeyed god that there was authority in that moment that i believe that satan assumed So much so that we see New Testament writers refer to him as the God of this world. They understand that there is, in a sense, some authority that he has. And at this moment, when this time comes, and this is at the beginning of the seven-year tribulation, that this man will be given this authority and power. And so we see wickedness and authority. What else do we see here about the Antichrist? Look at me in verse 3 and 4. Two other words, worship and amazement. Worship and amazement. It says, one of the heads appeared to be fatally wounded, but its fatal wound was healed. The whole earth was amazed and followed the beast. They worshiped the dragon because he gave authority to the beast. And they worshiped the beast saying, who is like the beast? Who is able to wage war against it? And so we see here, and again, I can't paint a full picture of what it looks like. And as I've told you through this series, I reserve the right to be wrong. But in my best understanding, that as as this man is rising to power, as he's rising to influence, as Satan is going to give him this power and authority, one of the things that is going to draw the world to him is in some way a faux-resurrection. In some sense, it tells us here that he appeared as if he was fatally wounded, but it had been healed. I heard one pastor even throw out the idea that it could be that as he raises to power, there's an assassination attempt on him. The world takes that understanding that he has been killed. And as he lays there in a casket in some rotunda somewhere, as people are coming to say their last goodbyes, that somehow at just the right time, he raises up out of the casket and the world marvels even more. But it tells us here that they will be amazed. They will marvel at this man. Part of the reason that this will happen will because of the signs and wonders that he is able to do. You continue in chapter 13. You see some of those signs and wonders that are spoken of. You would say, Michael, that just sounds crazy that a man would be able to do something like that. But I want to point your attention back to when Moses was delivering God's people out of Egypt. You remember, God had given him instruction to go to Pharaoh. He said, take your staff, and I want you to throw it down. And when you throw it down, it's going to turn into a serpent. And when you pick it up, it will become a staff again. And Pharaoh, in that moment, he called in his own people, his own magicians, sorcerers. And it says that they did the same thing. How did that happen? It's because the spirit of the Antichrist was at work. And so they will marvel, they will be amazed at this man. And that marvel and amazement so often happens in our life will do the same, that that amazement will turn to worship. We see there, it tells us in verse 4, they worshiped the dragon because he gave authority to the beast. And they worshiped the beast saying, who is like the beast? So they worship. They ascribe to him worth as the one that they have been waiting for. Notice here it says that they follow him. They they give their lives to his leadership. They entrust who they are and their future. They entrust all that they are to this man. And even here, as John records the question that they ask at the end of verse 4, who is like the beast? Again, Satan is doing his best attempt to thwart the mission of God and the redemption of his people. And in that attempt, because he knows he cannot deliver a fatal blow, he does his best to do his best imitation. So we see here, as it asks the question, who is like the beast? It reminds us from all throughout Scripture where the people would ask, who is like our God? When they considered the holiness and the majesty and the faithfulness that God had been to his people all throughout their journey with him, when they would see God in his grace and mercy continue to love and care for his people, they would ask, who is like our God? Psalm 71 verse 19, your righteousness reaches to the heights, God. You who have done great things, God, who is like you? people will be so amazed and will marvel at who he is and the power that he has that they will begin to ask of this great imitation, who is like the beast? As a part of that amazement, it's connected to our next point. As we see here, words and abbreviated power. Part of that amazement will not just come in some type of faux resurrection of some sort, But just who the man is himself. Look at me in verse 5 and 6. The beast was given a mouth to utter boast and blasphemies. It was allowed to exercise authority for 42 months. It began to speak blasphemies against God to blaspheme his name and his dwelling to those who dwell in heaven. We see here that he is going to be a persuasive speaker. He's going to be a charismatic order of a degree to which this world has never known or experienced. Right? We can think of people in our life, we can think of celebrities or political figures that you can recognize what this might look like. It was even said of Adolf Hitler. You can go back and watch videos of when he would address the German people, that he would come and, and he would stand in silence. The people chanted for him. And he would begin his speech with soft, spoken words. And as he went on, he would continue to build and build and build and build. Until the end, the entire crowd was in a frenzy, was in an uproar. He was persuasive with his words. And in the same way, we see here, not just from Revelation 13, but actually all the way back in Daniel chapter 7. In Daniel 7, verse 8, it tells us we're speaking of the Antichrist as the little horn. He says in verse 8, I love the way it says it in the ESV, it says, Behold, in this horn were eyes like the eyes of man, and his mouth speaking great things. And with this ability that he has, I believe Scripture shows us that at the beginning of this tribulation period, that he will come preaching peace. He will come offering to the world that which we've never had, so much so that I believe that he will enter into a covenant with the Jewish people. He will enter into this covenant. He will be able to deliver peace in the Middle East region in a way that no leader in this world ever has, right? But I believe Scripture says that after three and a half years, that the Antichrist, the beast, will turn his back on the covenant that he has made with the Jewish people. And that the fullness of his evil will become known. Why do I say that? Well, in Daniel chapter 9, verse 27, it says, He will make a firm covenant with many for one week. But in the middle of the week, he will put a stop to sacrifice and offering. And the abomination of desolation will be on a wing of the temple until the decreed destruction is poured out on the desolator. So there he's speaking of a week. And Daniel, we see this idea of weeks as a period of time. We believe that week to be seven years. And so it says here in the middle of the week, which would be how long? Seven divided by two. Students, what do we get? Seven divided by two. Golly, students, your voices got really deep all of a sudden. All right. Three and a half years. Three and a half years. All right. It's referenced again in Daniel chapter 7. It says in Daniel chapter 7, it says the court will convene and his dominion will be taken away to be completely destroyed forever. But this will happen after the holy ones have been handed over to him. For listen to this, a time times and a half. If we take time as one, we can take times to be what? Two and a half. If we take one plus two plus a half, what do we get? Three and a half. Good. Let's keep doing some math here. This is fun, right? Why are you laughing? Sorry, math teachers. They found that funny. All right? If you take three and a half years and we break it into months, how many months do we get? Sounds like we need math lessons. Let me give you a hint. Y'all are still guessing. I love it. Let's read verse 5. The beast was given a mouth to utter boasts and blasphemies. It was allowed to exercise authority for, say it together, 40. two months. Good. And so we see this incredible rise of this evil man for three and a half years. It's of peace and influence and prosperity. And at three and a half years, that he will turn his back. And the true evil of his character will become known. And so we will begin three and a half years of what is referred to as the Great Tribulation. The Great Tribulation. And that's what we see here in verse 7 and 8. Speaking of these final three and a half years of the Antichrist's rule and authority on earth. It says it was permitted to wage war against the saints and to conquer them. It was also given authority over every tribe, people, language, and nation. All those who live on the earth will worship it. Everyone whose name was not written from the foundation of the world in the book of the life of the Lamb who was slaughtered. This is our fourth point, which is war and acceptance. War and acceptance. It tells us that at this point in these 42 months, That this great tribulation will take place in verse 7. It was permitted to wage war against the saints and to conquer them. When I speak of war here, I'm not speaking necessarily of a military campaign. I'm speaking of the Antichrist and his people coming against the saints of God. This will be a worldwide persecution of The saints, Jesus spoke about it in Matthew chapter 24. It's where we started this entire series. In Matthew 24, the Olivet Discourse, verse 21 and 22, it says, For at that time there will be great distress, the kind that hasn't taken place from the beginning of the world until now and never will again. Listen to what Jesus says. Unless those days were cut short, no one would be saved. But those days will be cut short because of the elect. What Jesus understood was that in this period of great tribulation, when this Antichrist, the embodiment of evil, the embodiment of this spirit of the Antichrist, that in this period he will wage war against the saints of God. I believe that this is going to take place not just because it's what the spirit of the Antichrist has always been about. I believe it will take place because Satan knows that his doom is coming. That he is trying one last grasp to do all that he can to rob God of his glory and harm his people. There will be a full acceptance here. We see it in verse 8. All those who live on the earth will worship it. Everyone whose name was not written. There there is an acceptance that this is our leader. This is our man. And this man's desire will be to bring as much harm and to rob as much glory from God. I have to tell you, this would be a, a rough place to wrap up our time together today, wouldn't it? But I want you to understand that we can look at Revelation 13, 1 through8, and we can get a glimpse, we can get a glimpse here of who this man is. But I want you to know the chapter doesn't stop there. So we see these four things of who this man is, but I want you to walk out of here with a call for each of us of how we live in response to it. I'm going to give you two words, and guess what? They're going to start with a W and an A. Withstand and assurance. This is for us. This is not of the Antichrist. This is for us. Notice what he says here in verse 9 If anyone has ears to hear, let him listen. If anyone is to be taken captive, into captivity he goes. If anyone is to be killed with a sword, with a sword, he will be killed. It's just speaking here of the reality of what may happen in this period of tribulation. That there are those that will be martyred for their faith. But notice what he says here at the end of verse 10. This calls for endurance and faithfulness from the saints. And so as we think today, what do we do in light of this passage? What do we do in light of a confidence that this day is coming? Number one, we better have assurance that our name is written in the Lamb's book of life. Because it says that all will worship him. All will follow him. Whether that is out of amazement or whether that is out of fear, they will follow this one who will lead them to destruction. Except, except for those who have understood that God in his great love for us and his power over all dominion and all authority, that when you and I were dead in our sin and our trespasses because we followed the prince of the spirit of the air, we followed the spirit of the Antichrist in our rebellion, that God in his love for you, that he sent his only son Jesus to go and to pay a penalty of death, to take your sin on his back, to become sin for you, that he would die a vicious death, that he would be buried, but then he would truly rise again from the grave, showing that his sacrifice was sufficient before the eyes of a holy God. And the Bible says that for you and I, that if we would place our faith and our trust in Jesus Christ, in the true Son of God, in the true Messiah, in the one who reigns and rules with authority, if we would put our faith and our trust in what he has done for us, the Bible says that our sin can be forgiven and we can be made into a right relationship with God. to know that at that moment that your name can be written in the Lamb's book of life. Let me ask you today, I hope that you see as we dove into this, this is not something to play around with. This is not something just to add to your resume to say, oh yeah, I'm a spiritual person. Yeah, church is an important deal. I hope today you understand the weight of what's coming. And I hope today that you have the assurance in the depth of your soul. Michael, I know that there has been that moment in my life where I've confessed my sin to God and I've surrendered my life to Him. I am trusting in the finished work of Jesus and His death, burial, and resurrection. Because church, I want to remind you, what Christ did on that cross that day was not a day of defeat, but it was a day of victory. Amen? And so today, While we look at Revelation 13, and no doubt there's some fear that creeps up, and there's some anxiety that that creeps up in our heart and in our mind. Here's what we know. Jesus has won the victory, and Satan can try all that he wants. He can have the best imitation possible, but Jesus has won. And so we have assurance, and then we withstand. Notice what he says here. He says, this calls for endurance. This literally means to remain under. You think about someone carrying a heavy load on their back. And they're struggling step by step because of the load that is on their back. What he's saying here in this moment is, don't throw off the load on your back. You keep going. You keep pushing It's that last stretch of the race when you're worn out and you feel like you have nothing left in the tank. He says, listen, in light of all that Satan is going to attempt, in light of the persecution that has come, you keep walking by faith. He speaks here of faithfulness, right? Faithfulness. You keep trusting that that even though this Antichrist may come and he may persecute the saints, be reminded what Jesus said, don't fear the one who can kill the body. They might be able to kill the body, but they can't kill the soul. If you're in here today and you're a believer in Christ, it doesn't matter what Satan throws against you because of who Christ is in you. When I had that moment at that bank, and I was looking at all those, all those counterfeit bills, there was just a moment where it hit me. Right as I told you, these the small 20s on the back of the bill, they were brighter than what it was supposed to be. And you know, students, you know why I caught it in that moment? You, you know why I recognized that there was something wrong? Because I was so familiar with the real thing that when I saw a fraud, I knew something was off. Let me ask you today, are you so familiar with who Christ is, what his word reveals? Are you convinced the reality of who Christ is in your life in such a way? That not just if a counterfeit of a false messiah were to rise on the world scene, were to show up. But I'm talking about later this afternoon when the spirit of of the Antichrist whispers into your ear, hey, this is better. This is right. This is true. Do you know the real thing in such a way that you can hear Scripture that says "Depart, to, to, to flee Satan to tell Satan to flee from you, right? That that I know what is true and that that spirit of the Antichrist, that is not of the Lord. And that today you could have confidence to say, you know what? I'm not going to be deceived. King Jesus reigns. Today we're going to take a moment before we dismiss to take the Lord's Supper together. And I can't think of a better Sunday to do it as we have the opportunity to Not just to look back on what Christ has done for us, but to look forward. To be reminded that Paul says that when we eat of the bread and we drink of the cup, we proclaim his death until what? Until he comes again. And so we're reminded that even as we look at a moment in history that is coming that is not something to necessarily get excited about, we're reminded that it is for a short time, but there is a king that is reigning and ruling now, and he will reign for all of eternity. Today we get to celebrate the victory that was won in his death, burial, and resurrection. We have some men that are going to come serve us down here on the floor today. I want to invite those men to go ahead and make their way uh, in position as we get ready to do that. In the balcony, I'm with you today and we've got some pre-package for our balcony today and I'm I'm right along with you. But scripture's clear that when we come to this moment of taking the Lord's Supper, we're not to do it um, just superficially, we're not just to just go through the motions but we're to take a moment to consider our relationship with the Lord And so here in just a moment our worship team is going to come Casey's going to lead us and and I want to encourage you just to stay seated to stay in a time of reflection a time of prayer to consider your walk with the Lord do you know today that your name is written in the Lamb's book of life if not today is the day for you you don't need to worry about taking the Lord's Supper the Lord's Supper is for those that are in Christ today you need to take Jesus Maybe today you're here and you know that your life has been, look, it's looked more like the spirit of the Antichrist than it has walking in the fruit of the spirit. And today God is inviting you to leverage this moment as a time of repentance and confession and to receive the grace and mercy that can only come from him. Would you bow your heads with me today? Fathers, we come to this time. We're grateful that this supper that we take in this moment as we come around your table we do so knowing that it is a it is a remembrance and it is a celebration and so God as we have this moment of reflection as we have this moment to meditate on where we're at with you Lord for those that are here today that have never said yes to you I pray that today would be the day that their name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life for those that are here today God their life is reflected more the spirit of the antichrist and the fruit of the spirit lord i pray that this moment would be a moment where we sense your presence and we feel the lavishness of your grace and your love that meets us right where we're at Then we would be honest before you before we take the elements together spirit of god we know that you're in this place today and i pray god that our hearts would leverage this moment with you in jesus name Thank you so much for joining us today. We hope, again, that you were encouraged by what God had to say for you and for your life. I just want to extend an invitation for you today. Maybe today you realize that you need Jesus in your life. Maybe today you just need to take that next step in your spiritual walk, or maybe you've got a spiritual need, and I want you to know that we would love to come alongside you and serve you any way that we can. Feel free to reach out to us at firstwest.cc, or you can call the church, 318-322-5104, and we would love to help you in what God is doing in your life. Have a great day.